Hello and welcome back to the Holtcast and Aston Villa podcast. Aston Villa played out the weekend with a loss to Arsenal, a loss that actually leaves them in the relegation zone. I'm James Rushton, joined once again by Cole Petham and Danny Raza. How are you both doing? I'm going to want to hear from you first, Cole, because you were quite uh, angry on Twitter and angry in the DMs, actually. I was angry, but I think Danny was angrier, so we'll get to him next. But uh, <laughs> but no, um, very frustrated. Um, like, I don't want to be negative, but I kind of have to be at the same time. Like, there's so many things we're going to talk about over the course of this podcast tonight. Um, oh, I don't know. There's, things have to change and things aren't changing and I'm getting annoyed. I know we're only like, what, six games into it, but the signs are already starting to worry me and I'll, I'll keep it there. Let's get to Danny because that's what I want to hear. I'm just rambling on. Hello. How are we doing? Good evening. I've had time to reflect after what was a very poor result and after a lot of ranting, which I did do on Twitter, which some of which may have been slightly illogical. Um, and I have to say that I still think it was a terrible result. Um, there were a lot of poor tactical decisions made throughout the course of 90 minutes, specifically within the last half hour and uh, maybe less specifically within that second half. Uh, and I also thought that I, I wanted a little bit more. I wanted a little bit more. Uh, my sum, I think the summary basically for me is that after all the, all the hard work last season, uh, we've seemingly abandoned a lot of our principles. Yeah, it seems to have gone a bit, I wouldn't say we went totally off the rails. It was a disappointing loss. Um, it was another disappointing result. I think that after the nil-nil at West Ham, we certainly all feel we should and could be doing better. Quick, funny stat. Well, funny depends on your persuasion there. Funny stat for you guys, 70 minutes of football roundabout now. Aston Villa have played against 10 men. They've scored one goal in that time and conceded three. Hmm. Which is, you know, you've got to take advantage. And I think we'll, we'll definitely come on to that. We're going to speak, be speaking mostly Arsenal today. So Arsenal beat Aston Villa by three goals to two. Um, Arsenal picked up a first half red card. Villa scored the first goal. John McGinn's goal. This is the first talking point. John McGinn scored the goal. He searches through the middle, straight from the middle of midfield. And while Al Ghazi gets the early cross, McGinn beats the entire Arsenal defence. He gets in, taps it in from close range after, you know, stomping everyone. The big question for me is, Cole, is that a result? Is that first goal, that initial Aston Villa goal, is it a result of a good attack or Arsenal's bad defence? <laughs> I think a bit of both, because honestly... I stood up in my room. I watched this in my room. That's how sad I am. Um, <laughs> and I'm thinking, where the heck did that come from? Because it came from absolutely nowhere. Uh, brilliant cross, uh, brilliant goal by John McGinn, most certainly. We have to give him credit there. Um, definitely lackluster on the Arsenal defense. We can see why the combination of Socrates and David Luiz does not work. And honestly, uh, I think the one thing I want to touch upon today is we should have definitely exploited that duo more because they are absolutely crap together and i think it's fair to say definitely on this goal because at first some people probably thought is that offside because it seemed way too easy but no they just apparently can't play a decent line don't know how to play the offside trap and it's one nil to us i'll leave it there because i was happy enough with that so danny yeah i was thinking this i was thinking how can he not be offside but when on reflection he's like four meters onside when the ball is played in by al ghazi so i'm leaning towards that's bad defense like, they should be having McGinn there. And McGinn is just finding it far too easy to get through. And yeah, he's a good player. He makes these runs. He does these things. It's his talent. But there is a certain amount of liability that has just been lost by that defense. 
Yeah, I, I think the reason I predicted a win was because Arsenal's defence just looked so flimsy. It was the same against Watford last week, uh, where Arsenal just if you, if you run at them and if you if you if you if you try to scare them, they they just they seem to falter. They're, they're the kind of team that loves having possession, but when they're off the ball, it's like whoa, uh, what are we supposed to be doing? And I, I, I've always rated David Luiz as a defender, but he's always played in a very sort of solid Chelsea team, which again, very very possession based. Um, but he he does not watch McGinn whatsoever here. And Arsenal, funnily enough, have probably been watching Villa, thinking right. Usually we're quite isolated when we're when we're when we're working balls in. Uh, we don't usually get the opportunity to get that kind of uh, that kind of crossing to to a number of to a number of players. You, you're probably concentrating on on watching the big six three Brazilian forward who's who's in the box. But you know we 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 do well here. We we have Grealish and McGinn who are both supposed to be pushing on and and uh, and, and and supporting the forward. And, and lo and behold, John McGinn gets in behind the defense, and I think it's a fantastic run. Um, and brilliant from Anwar Ghazi to get that ball in. So it's a culmination of both. It's a combination, sorry, of both. Uh, Louise should be doing so much better, uh, but we exploited the the, the sort of uh, uh, well, how do I, how do I put this? The, the stiffness in that Arsenal defence. Uh, they always seem just to step off. So another big event in the first half. Um, we're going to ignore the fact that Ashley Maitland-Niles had a free shot on goal from metres out within the first minute of play. But he picked up a booking shortly shortly after that. And towards the end of the first half, he was sent off for a second yellow. And it was really kind of bizarre what happened because he went in for a challenge, quite a normal looking challenge on Neil Taylor. He kind of won the ball, went through. It's kind of that half and half tackle that we see so many times and a player gets booked sometimes, sometimes they don't. Uh, Maitland Nas picked up his second booking for this. But because he was hurt from the challenge, he was lying on the floor. The referee had to stand around and wait until he received treatment and hobbled off the pitch to kind of send him off. Um, what were we thinking there? Was it a deserved sending off? Um, was it a deserved second yellow goal? Uh, yeah, I'd say 100%. Uh, you, you see some Arsenal fans, especially on Twitter, saying that's a little harsh, but it's one of those balls, again, like you said, if you go for it, it's going to pay off or it's not going to. It didn't pay off for them. Easy booking. Um, I think we've already seen too many times this season, things like that just kind of go astray. They don't get called and things continue and they don't go our way. Uh, for once, I would say there, it went our way. Uh, there's definitely a few parts of the match we'll talk about later that didn't. Um, but no, my favorite thing about this too is when they were picking uh, Maitland-Niles up, he was obviously his back was to the ref and the ref just kind of gives him a booking from behind and you can kind of see Maitland-Niles go like, oh, like screw <laughs> off. Like, <laughs> you yeah. know, he's going off either because he's injured or because of the, the sending off anyways. I just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, there's part of me that had almost a little bit of sympathy. Like he, he's seemingly actually hurt and now he has to leave the pitch. And he won't be coming back because he's been sent off. So it's this really bizarre moment of this player clearly being a, a bit hurt. He's had to stand up, be sent off, rightly or wrongly, depending on how you feel about it. And he's gone. For, he's gone off the match now. And it was just a, a little funny moment. And there, in that moment, you think, hang on, the referee may or may not have done us a bit of a favour here. For once, something has gone right. For once, we can feel emboldened by refereeing the decision. Um, it would, took about... Hmm, 30 minutes of game time for that to kind of collapse. So, yeah, it didn't really do us much justice, did it? Um, Danny getting a, getting that one-man advantage. Yeah, look, I, no, I, I don't... I, it shouldn't be talk. I mean, he's, he, he's, he was a straight-up yellow card. <laughs> it's not even a favour, man. It's just... It's, it's, it's just being a decent referee. What's funny about it is Maitland-Niles is 
almost sort of on the floor. They're trying to avoid a yellow card as if, um, you know, it's that it's that old it's that old thing about like if you ever did something wrong when you were a kid, like if you didn't look at your parents or if you just kind of avoided them all day, they wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Like you get if you get kicked out of school permanently, as long as you don't tell your parents. They're never going to find out. It's all cool. I'm not going to get in trouble. It was kind of like that with, with Maitland-Niles. What's interesting is it's, it's actually got a little bit of a side story, this as well, because earlier this week, Ainsley Maitland-Niles was actually out um, in the media saying that he's not a defender and that he's a midfielder. I believe the exact quote uh, when he spoke to Sky Sports, I think it was, he said, I'm a midfielder by trade, either central or on the wing. It's all the same to me. I'm not a defender. So I do get a lot of stick about my defending being poor. So, yeah. <laughs> um. I can it, see why. Well, this is it. This is but the th- the thing is, uh, do you blame him? Because this is a player who's kind of trained as a trained as a as a, as a player out wide, isn't he? Generally, um, and uh, and I never thought when he was coming up that he'd that he'd be sort of a a decent defender. I never thought that that was kind of going to be his position. You can see that he's just not right there, is he? No, but we didn't even get to see him at all. Forty-one minutes, he went off. Uh a red card and uh, he did get into those attacking positions but and he did threaten Villa that should I really thought that's them scoring when he was free in the box the cross drifts over finds him he's got all the time in the world to shoot and he doesn't bury it and I think that was a really good chance for Arsenal um, before the kind of the match shifted on its head with McGinn's goal and the sending off um, but no, he couldn't threaten us because he, he got sent off. And as you say, probably fairly so. Um, Cole, we're going to move on to an Aston Villa event, which is the giving away of a penalty. Arsenal were knocking on the door for a, a long, long time uh, after McGinn's goal. And Bjorn Engels clatters uh, Matteo Guendouzi. And he was a good player. You you know, you first notice his hair, then you notice how angry and passionate he is about football. Um, Arsenal were feeling very hard done by with that uh, red card and non no other Arsenal player showed it more than Ganduzi, who seemed to be trying to get everyone sent off, um, not by diving or doing anything like that, um, despite the fact there was a bit of, you know, a bit of a pantomime villainy from uh, Tom Heaton when uh, Ganduzi went down looking for it. But no, he he wanted that card. Every time a challenge went in, he was holding up uh, an imaginary card, which I think is a bookable offence. But no, he goes down, Engels clatters him, and Pepe steps up and buries a penalty. All of Villa's hard work undone in seconds. Yeah, that's true. Let's do a quick vote right here. Is this Angles' first major error for us? Is that do we think that? Yeah. Or do you guys notice something else? Yeah. yeah? Okay. Yeah. So with that being said, I don't think we can be too hard on the player. And I think especially fans can't be. I know you'll see some things saying, oh, he's stupid. He's this and that because he makes one mistake. Um, tough challenge. Should he have made it? Probably not. I thought even if um, Gwenduzi kind of made another move and he got by him by cutting him by angle. I still thought Mings or whoever was around there at the time, I can't remember exactly, maybe could have forced him a little bit more. So maybe the shot went a bit mm-hmm. as effective. Um, it's one of those things that same thing with the Maitland Niles thing. It's either going to pay off or it isn't. And it didn't pay off for us. I think it's simple as that. It's just unnecessary, I guess. Um, but again, you know, this is it. This is, this is a result of, uh, Basically, us going one look and going, yeah, I mean, job's done in it, and that's 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 the kind of way we played from there on. Uh, it was it was I think it was part of that. And Kenduzi was running. I mean, he was running the show. He was looking for a goal. He's the most passionate player in that Arsenal team. Shaka obviously was also quite passionate, but um, just didn't seem quite quite all there. Uh, and you can see why uh, why Arsenal have trusted Kenduzi so much so far this season. You could see how much it meant to him as well because he was trying to almost fight every Aston Villa player to the ball on the pitch. And when, you know, there was a 
meaty challenge that went in. He was the first in, in someone's face. And I guess as the opposition, we get riled up about that. We don't like to see our players ever challenged in almost that. I don't want to say threatening because, you know, Tom Heaton could just slap Gunduzi around a bit. You know what I mean? Tyron Mings isn't going to be having any of that. But you don't like to see play, other opposition players get in the face of your players. But when Arsenal went down to 10 men, they really stepped up their game. And no one exemplifies that more than Gunduzi. And, you know, sometimes you do have to just hold your hands up and say, right, they run the show. They absolutely run the show. So when I woke up this morning, the way I felt about the match was so much different to the way I felt when it was unfolding. And that, again, embodied by Gunduzi, it was always Arsenal. Even when we scored it, it was almost seemingly like we only scored when they kind of let let us in. But that doesn't change the let way us in to do so. That shouldn't change the way you felt about it, man. That that should never have been a thing. It, that, like we're not incapable of of keeping up like that, and we shouldn't be. There should be there should be Villa players in that team who want to fight harder than Gunduzi. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Tyron Mings brought it up and uh, Dean Smith brought it up a lot of players even Wesley brings it up it's the the belief they say the belief went away and a question for you Cole did Aston Villa go toe-to-toe with Arsenal or was it Arsenal that went toe-to-toe with Aston Villa see that's hard to say because like if you look at it from like what you guys were just discussing it is valid to say like there was error like areas of the game where it was like, oh, we just nicked one here. We nicked another one. But like, it didn't really seem like we had much of the ball. I mean, at the start, there's a lot of back and forth, as you expect, um, with their defense being so open and their attack being so good and our defense arguably being the best thing that we have so far and our attack not being that great, even though we did push forward. Um, it's kind of tough. I'd have to kind of give it more towards Arsenal to favor because you when you go to big teams no matter if it's arsenal manchester united man city um maybe i shouldn't say united right now but anyways um bigger teams you know you're not going to carry much of the ball you're going to be more on the counter um i think we fit that for the most part until that goes out the window when they're down to 10 men though man oh i'm just talking about the whole game though like even before that like it's just it was open and yeah like i totally agree it does change but like I don't know. It just seems like we're not built for possession. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. It's like in the athletic, Greg Evans posted something about how Aston Villa really do want to go toe to toe and dance with these top six teams and play that good football. But every time we do it, we look good for 50 minutes when the final whistle blown, we're not, the scoreline doesn't favor us at all. And we're going up against these teams which have elite players. You have the Harry Canes. You know, you saw his finish against, what's it, Leicester the other day. You've got players who are capable of doing mad mad stuff like that and carrying on that game to the, carrying on that section of play to the dying ember of it and grabbing something from it. And Obama Young in his goal proved that. So you get that player. All, all they take is one kick, mate, and it's over with these teams. And we have good players, but do we have anyone who is elite? when we're playing against these top six teams. I take that. I take that point. I get that. Um, But, I mean, my problem is we've been in positions in both of these games, I mean, in in, in games this season where, like, players have stepped up and it's just, it's kind of in the dying embers of the game where, as you say, like, it kind of goes away. I don't see why there's any reason Jack Grealish can't grab the game by the scruff of its neck 
or Wesley can't grab the game by the scruff of its neck. But you know what the difference is? You look at the Tottenham game and you look at the Arsenal game. You talk about these teams being great teams, right? Who have who have who have finishes in their sides. And I'll tell you two, I'll tell I'll tell you one thing, right? In both of these games, the major difference was substitutions. Arsenal don't win that game unless Torreira or uh, Torreira and who was the other one that comes on? Um, Torreira and Willock come on. I don't think, right? And Tottenham don't win that game at the start of the season unless Ericsson comes on. So this is when you start pointing fingers at uh, at the manager. There's 90, 90 minutes in a Premier League game and, and, and I don't care who you are, Grealish, McGinn, Nakamba, that, those midfielders cannot keep it up against those top sides for the full 90 minutes. And that's okay because... It's it's just the way it works there. You can't you can't expect them to, to to be running it on their own for the for the full ninety minutes and bringing on Al Mahamadi with twenty minutes to go doesn't you know doesn't change that. Yeah, I, what I wanted to bring up actually is that you said that Grealish didn't you know there there wasn't a moment where he he springs up in the dying embers of the game and grabs the the game by the scuff of its neck, but. I think he really had a, a good moment. He had his moment. He had his time to shine. Directly after the penalty, he does grab the game by the scruff of his neck. Of its neck, you know, there's five Arsenal players gravitating towards him, leaving Wesley wide open, and no one wants a bit of Wesley. When Grealish gets that ball on, taps it across. Wesley just taps it in, mm-hmm. and that's all Grealish. As bad as it is that Arsenal travelled around him and got sucked into him, he that's what he does. And you know, so many teams are guilty of crowding Grealish and Grealish runs with this mob of players following him, like this, this entourage and he slides it across to Wesley. Wesley taps in. There's your, that's your, gra- that's grab, grubbing, that's grabbing the game by the scruff of its neck, mate. Exactly. So we've got the players. But are we ask, are you, do you think it's a question of asking too much of these players? Because he's done it once. He can't do it again. It's almost like he can't do it again. You get one shot. Right. At that point, and I, I, I know Cole's got to speak. <laughs> But just at, but at that point, James, right? This is the difference. Emery goes, okay, fine. You're overrunning us. That, that's that's okay. Torreira on your come. Willock on your come. So Greedish, McGinn, and Nakamba, all all of these midfielders are going. Whoa, hang on a second. We've been working this hard all game. We we've got ourselves in a good position. Now we're supposed to. Uh, now we're supposed to keep up with this. You know, at that, at that point, the manager's got to got got to, got to look at the game for for what it is, right? And and you make you make the right change. So, I mean, that that that's all it is. Cole, what change would you have made? Um, there's two different ways in my mind you can look at this. Either you're going to set up shop completely, and even though you're down to ten men, you're just going to sit there and absorb it all. If you're going to do that, Grealish, McGinn, one of those two at least has to come off. You have to pack that midfield pack the defense and not really worry about the rest. The other kind of perspective from the 10 men side is uh, replace McGinn or Grealish. So basically either way, regardless, just have fresher players kind of go for it, still kind of play on the counter. Cause you know, Arsenal are going to push still. And essentially, like I said, just go for it. But we didn't really do either of those things. Like it's, it's in my opinion, like I love Jack Grealish. I love John McGinn, but like, everyone gets tired eventually and you're just leaving like i don't know it was every time it was like wave after wave at one point where you're just watching like them bypass our complete midfield every single time because they're so gassed Mm -hmm. like there's great to have faith in these players oh and for dean smith to come out and say they kind of lost their head yeah that's obvious but 
tired minds, tired bodies. What more do you expect from some players? Um, there's also, I think, that question, and I want to know from Danny in particular right now, do you think we're missing that kind of, every team that's been well-known in the past has that mercurial player uh, that keeps everyone's head on straight and all that kind of stuff. Do you think we're missing that? Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, isn't it? It is an interesting one. I get I get what you mean. Um, but saying that, Cole, just just quickly before I before I respond to that, who's the guy, who's that guy for Arsenal then? That's a good question as well. I, they don't really have one, and you you would have said Kashelny, but he's gone. Um, really tough. I, I, yeah, but Mings does that, shorty. Like Mings does that. Yeah, he? no, I, I see that. But I mean, at the same time, I almost wonder if the message is getting through to the whole team. It kind of makes you wonder. Mm. No, I know what you mean, and I think this is where this is where I just feel as though, uh, and 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 I, and I say this again, I am not. I, I do I do I absolutely hate criticizing Dean Smith. I don't want it I don't want it to come across like that. I wonder if Dean Smith needs to be more ruthless. I wonder if he needs to tell these boys, listen, this isn't working. You know, at 60 to 70 minutes, if you and this this is the this is the thing that worried me, right? After the game, Cole, um Dean Smith, Jack Grealish, Tyrone Mings all said very, very similar things. You know, we sat off too much. We 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 lost the bravery. So if you're the manager and you're watching your players actively kind of actively not carry out what you want them to do, then you make the change. And I think you've, I think you've got the I think you've got the guys in Grealish. I think you've got the guys in um in Tyrone Minks, but you need you need oh, help exactly. sometimes. And if I'm Connor Hurahan, and if you're talking about game changes, here's here's a point for you, right? If you're talking about game changes, you talk about Connor Hurahan. Haran, sorry, who for the last couple of seasons has pretty much taken us, is pretty much gone into double figures with his goals and at least with goals and assists and has changed the game for us so many times. If you're on that bench right there and you're watching us get walked over, you've got to seriously be questioning what your role in that side 100%. is. So, I mean, there are the players there to make those changes. Yeah, how does he get into it? 19 goals for Conor Harahan um, since he's been at Aston Villa. I think. Over 10 of those came in one season alone, um, 11 in uh, 17 to 18. So he's done the business for us. And there's just it's just a question of they're all fighting for one position, aren't they? They're all fighting for that holding role, which is just, it's not going to happen. And you can't even think about dropping McGinn and Greenish because they're the only two players who can really make things happen in midfield. Like, sub them off though, James. If 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 you can yeah you can sub him off yeah if McGinn or Greenish goes off at that point right how Rahan's on the pitch and he and he can inspire that team he can he can tell the tell the team boys come on I've got that extra bit of energy in here I can help you out let's make sure that uh that, that we stop these boys from playing and and you've got the possibility of a goal and the, the thing the thing that worries me is that Dean Smith knows this why because once we go three two Tracy down Jones. those changes are made and that's it. Basically, well, you do look at it, don't you? You do look at the criticisms, especially the ones you come out with after the game, Danny, about you know the the tempo, the sitting back, the quote unquote sitting back, and what Dean Smith says. And he hasn't seen, he isn't going on Twitter, he isn't seeing the press. The first thing he says when he meets the media is, you know, we stood off, and that's not necessarily stand, standing back. That's because when Arsenal had the ball, they pushed, they were able to gradually pushed their line up to midfield, contained the entire football match in Villa's half. And when Villa got the ball, the first thing they did is what they always do and spray out to the wing. 
But that's a problem if you're spraying it out to the wing and there's a guy, there's an Arsenal shirt already there to collect it. You're just ruining it yourself. The one time we had to kind of take the tempo off, guys, was when Tyrone Mings actually tried to take the sting out of the play. He cushions the header to Neil Taylor. Callum Chambers comes out of nowhere. Well, he was always there. I'll say out of nowhere. He was always there. Basically cushions the header to uh, Callum Chambers. He makes it 2-2. And then it's game over. It's gone. Absolutely gone. And we didn't look like even in a position to question Arsenal okay. after that. Fair enough. I thought you were going to rant a little bit more, so I thought I'd give you the stage. Go but anyways. <laughs> no, like, I, I felt smart at this point, to be honest, because <laughs> I called 2-2 and Trevor, um, Trevor Hood, who does all our... Uh, predictions and stuff like that um he called me a god yesterday so i felt pretty good at that point even though we were drawing but uh no like it just that for that particular goal it felt like it was going in like super slow motion did it feel like that for anyone else like well first of all when you see callum chambers hit it it literally my initial impression yeah. was okay yeah, it's going over the net and then it just slowly slowly loops over heaton and goes in i'm thinking are you frigging kidding me it's just it's all like I don't know how many weeks uh, consistently me all of us have really said it. We need to change formations at like even if it's halfway through a game or something because like you face different situations during a game and four three three for ninety minutes isn't working. I think that's fair to say. What I don't get, what I don't get is why are we so immune to change I and mean, why are we so like allergic to change. They, that, like, I, surely Dean Smith sees that things haven't been working in the last sort of half an hour in, in every game we've played sort of in the last few weeks. I mean, ever since Everton. Because, I mean, the thing with Everton is we exploited the team because, because, we, because we attacked well and we attacked, we attacked till the end of the game. Um, and with Arsenal, if we'd, have done, if we'd have done the same thing, I mean, look, we should have really, that game should have been a two or three nil victory. I'm 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 sick of people telling telling me that we need to be realistic about this result. Being realistic is eleven men is eleven men beats ten in the Premier League, and and it should always be that way. So why are we so sort of pushed back? Uh, you know, as soon as Arsenal provide any sort of pressure, what should be happening is that once Arsenal start attacking, is that we should be able to exploit the fact that they've sent everybody forward. Because that's how you make use of the extra man. If they, if they've got three players sat in the uh, sat in their own half instead of four, then and you're sitting off, it's no it's no different to defending against eleven men. Basically, you're, you've just you've just gotten rid of that whole advantage. No, I agree. The one thing I wanted to just pick on, not on Danny's part, but just in general, is I wonder if when you look at people's expressions and them just saying, "Oh, well, what do you expect? Arsenal's a massive club." Like this isn't the Thierry Henry's Arsenal. Like this is like, like I'm sorry, and I know Arsenal fans will admit this is crap Arsenal. Like this is as bad as it's been for probably over 20 years. Like that whole aura of the Invincibles and all that is so far gone, and I don't understand why that's still there. Like. This season, especially them and even Chelsea, they're there to be had at. Like, mm. uh, we just, I don't know. It's just lacking that cutting edge, closing things out. Like, these are things that need to be changed because what we have three games, three winnable games next. And so, what is, what are people going to say after those? This is it. Yeah. We, we, if, if, if this thing's, if this keeps on happening and we don't address what's going on, then it's just going to put a massive, 
amount of pressure on Dean Smith and the players. And uh, the the thing was that yesterday was the first time. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say yesterday because you might be listening to this podcast like next week. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the thing is, during the game, uh, that was the first time I've ever seen our defense look nervous. And it was that negativity coming into play again. It's like throughout the whole game, the team didn't believe they were gonna get, they were gonna pick up the three points. And the more that that happens, the more likely that you you are to get on a losing run. We've seen this team get on a losing run before. It's not out of the question. And that was in the championship. So you know what makes you so sure that a bad run of results isn't gonna make the same thing happen? We need momentum and we need it quick. Otherwise, you know we could be sitting here um, at Christmas on like ten points. Well, after Callum Chambers' goal to make it 2-2, Arsenal quickly made it 3-2 with 10 men on the pitch. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scores a free kick from close range. Um, No complaints about the goal itself because that's what elite players do. They step up when they're needed to win games. Um, It wasn't the end-of-season kind of classic. This was six games in, and Arsenal had to really drag out the bag to win it. But win it, they did, and it was through the Aubameyang free kick. No, Again, no complaints about the goal, but there was an Arsenal player in the Villa wall. It was, and that is not allowed, folks. Yeah. You question some of the decisions, and look, we can't go, we lost the game because of the ref, because... I've been there, done that. We didn't. We didn't lose this game. (laughs) I've, I've I've heard so many people... Uh, on Twitter, say we've been shafted by VAR. There was a handball that shouldn't have been a handball, and it was like one that was questionable. And two, don't don't even for a minute blame VAR for what happened on uh, against Arsenal. Um, but I didn't. Even- the rules are crap. That's that's the problem, Danny. Is the rules are so hard to understand no, the, but- that you cannot even think about being a ref yeah. and and getting a decision right. Yeah, I guess not. Because, look, for me, it's handball. It doesn't hit your shoulder because the shoulder's on top of your arm. That hits his arm. So, Socrates, when he sticks his arm out, that's a handball. There's no, there's absolutely no question, in my mind at least, because it hits his arm. And, we, you know, even though the rule's handball, it, it's armball. It can't hit your arm. If your arm's extended from your body in any way, it's blocking a goal-bound shot. This is Conor Harahan, 87 minutes, shooting at goal in a shot in the still frame that looks like it could have a chance of beating Bern Leno in goal. And Socrates blocks it with his arm. For me, for me, that is a handball. So I don't know about, I mean, I don't know about questionable. I've seen it from two angles now. I'm, I'm convinced it's a handball goal. I don't know about you. I thought it was 100%. Like, like we're, at what point, and like this is any professional sports league, at what point do they draw a line and like just... I don't know. It's so inconsistent. It drives me nuts because it almost feels like if that was us, there was a penalty, just the way our luck's going right now. And I'm not trying to be trying to be too downbeat about it, but like, when's it just going to give for us? Like, yeah, we were, they were down to 10 men. We had a man advantage. We didn't fully capitalize, but like, it just seems like besides that, everything else just doesn't go our way. I don't know. Are we just unlucky Villa this year when it comes to things like that? Danny, what was it um, like six years ago in the NFL? when the Packers played the Seahawks <laughs> and they they gave that thing that didn't exist. They gave that throw. And the NFL is such a strictly regulated game in terms of officiating. Yeah, and yeah, the refs yeah. cocked up and they all closed ranks around the refs. They all tried to protect themselves. And I'm not saying there's a massive conspiracy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare say that. But refs are just getting it wrong. The rules, the rules aren't helping them at least. But like, if there's a handball, there's a handball, man. Human error is never going to go away. Oh, did you see that thing yesterday? What, oh, what, you mean in the NFL? Yeah. Yeah, where the, the referee put the ball, he didn't know where to put the ball back. 
Yeah. Look, I mean, but it just shows you, though, isn't it? Human error is never going to go away. It's never going to go away. And I don't, I don't have I, an assistant you can go to. You have an assistant you can use, and no one's using it. That's gonna, that's even that's going to be an influenced opinion in some way or another. You know, it's your mind telling you, uh, yeah, I think that might be a handball because of this, because of that. Um, it's just that, I guess, as an assistant, your opinion's supposed to be more valuable than the um, than the regular person. I don't know. Look, I don't. I, I don't. I don't want to get hung up on the handball because it's just that at the end of the day, like we, it just shouldn't have been an issue. There's questionable things which happen. Um, you know, when when we play as well, you know, I mean, we get we get decisions sometimes. I mean, Palace was a bad game when you look at officiating, but since then, I don't I don't think we've really had much to complain about. Yeah, I think, I think that again, it goes way. back to the performance. If we put that match away like we should have done, we shouldn't be questioning. <laughs> These decisions wouldn't even be on our minds. Listen, it was a woeful performance. It was a woeful performance, and I don't, I don't even want to. I don't even want to attribute this as a reason to why we've lost this match. We have so many opportunities to put the game away, and we just don't. So, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't want to get too hung up on officiating. I think it's a. I think it's a fifty-fifty call. Um, I can see why the ref's not giving it. Well, with that in mind, Cole, I guess I should take a match ball from you for the Villa player who impressed you the most uh, during Aston Villa versus Arsenal. Um, I think it's simple for me. I'll just go with Jack Grealish. Um, completely controlled the game from our standpoint, just from that. Like, it's different from the championship. I just want to rant for a second here, where he could literally win us a game. Yeah, he could do that at this level, but it's going to be obviously a lot harder. But he did everything he possibly could yesterday, and then some, in my opinion. Um, basically everything but getting himself a goal. So I'll have to go with Jack Grealish. I'm going to go with Trezeguet. He came back after serving his suspension for that really silly um, second yellow against Crystal Palace. Um, he gave the injection of pace. He gave the ideas. He wasn't afraid to track back. And he, he came back into the team looking like we looking like we have something to offer on these wings now. Algarzi stepped up, yes, but Trezeguet, with that game gone due to suspension, comes straight back into the side and removes the questions over his position. So Trezeguet, for me, takes my match ball. And Danny, um, would you mind signing off this match with your match ball? Uh, yeah, I'm struggling to choose between two players. I don't want to give it to any of the defenders. Um, that, they're great. I love the, I love our defense, but uh, I don't really want to give it to any of them. Oh, they'll be so upset to hear that. But uh, yeah, I know. And Danny Riser hasn't chosen uh, for a match ball. I was, I'm, I'm kind of split between Marvellous, Nakamba, and, and Wesley here, um, out of what's left. Because I think on the one hand, Nakamba, you know... Plays so well um, in terms of spraying the ball about, and I think he he looked pretty solid for for the most part of the game. Um, I but I think just near the end, I would have liked him to I would have liked him to have just kind of solid it up a little bit and maybe just grab the game by the scruff of its neck a little bit more. Uh, maybe track Ganduzi slightly better. Um, but yeah, I think I think I'm going to give it to Wesley. I think I think he did it incredibly well in terms of. Uh, annoying Socrates. I think he did well inside the box. Arsenal really failed to kind of pick him up. I think he did his job as a striker really well. Um, got himself a goal against a big team, which I think could be huge for him. And uh, I just think, I think uh, looking at all the players, I don't know what you guys think, but he seemed really riled up for the whole game. He looked fired up to yes. score. And he, he seemed like he was one of the few players on that pitch who for the full 90 minutes was going for it. He didn't lose his head at any point. You continued and, the and man crush. <laughs> no, 
no, listen. I mean, it's just it's it's he's the only guy I can give it to. At this I know. Point, I'm just bugging him, buddy. But look, I look. John John McGinn plays incredibly well as well. This is the thing. But I, it's 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 it's. If I give it to John McGinn, if I give it to Jack Grealish, I'm judging that game on 60 minutes. After that point, our midfield just falls apart, and that's my struggle really. Um, and that that was the problem with the team yesterday. Uh, is that Dean Smith's fault or is that the midfield's fault? That's the question. Well, Aston Villa will hopefully aim to transform a bad evening against Arsenal into a good evening against Brighton because we go to the Amex in Brighton um, to play a League Cup tie. Um, 7.45pm on Wednesday, Brighton versus Aston Villa away down south. Uh, League Cup match, let's get it over with because we don't re- we can't predict these games really because it's going to be a chain side. Um, it's going to be all over the place. It's a cup game. We don't really know what to say about it because again these these games are crazy anything can happen um danny any expectations uh slightly worried i think we're there for the taking against brighton uh, and i think the players heads are going to be sort of like partially focused on the premier league part of that for me is just gonna i don't know if mentally that kind of throws us off our game in a league cup match so uh i am slightly worried about it it would be pretty typical as well if neil Malpy scored of course, if he if he plays, will uh, Graham Potter risk him? Yeah, I think he would. You think against Villa, yeah. against Dean Smith, hundred <laughs> percent. The team he nearly signs for doesn't think he's worth the money. Perhaps. <laughs> well, Cole, what do you make of Brighton? Um, are they there for the taking? Is this Villa's to lose, or will they rotated Villa side um, suffer a, suffer a defeat? Oh, these are always so tough because they're absolute crapshoots. Like whoever bets on cup <laughs> matches are. Brave people. Um, if you've never heard that expression, I, I apologize. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> but Have no, you made that expression up? No, it's an yes. actual thing. He's <laughs> made it up. He's made it up. No, it's a thing. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> but you are right. To predict these cup games at, at this round, um, when you know there's so much going on in the league, the teams are still getting settled, no one knows where they stand. It's so hard to predict. But is it, maybe this is the time where we actually change something up and work on something else and see if it works i highly doubt that'll happen but like in my mind that'd be a perfect opportunity because whatever happens it doesn't really affect us we didn't absolutely capitulate against a lower league opposition last round we brushed them off with ease and now we're playing another premier league side so this is time to test players out maybe test different things out and really see what can happen now, Brighton haven't been amazing this season, have they? I mean, they've only scored, I think, the five in the league or something like that. Uh, and I think, you know, they've, they've kind of picked up draws against sort of <sighs> mediocre sides, mid-table sides. And I think the one time they've they been team, they've, been, they've, they've got whacked. So. Well, they've transformed in a big way since they've changed or swapped Chris Houghton out. For Graham Potter, they're playing a lot more with the ball, playing a lot more out from the back and uh, playing with style. Um, Whether it pays off at the end of the season, I think it remains to be seen. But so far, I guess a little bit... They're still the same, really, aren't they? They haven't moved on in a a big deal. 15th right now in the Premier League, kind of where you'd put them. So, again, it's it's such a hard game to kind of predict. It's not like we don't know anything about it or we don't have any insight to give. It's just anything can happen. But I think from Villa, what we'll expect to see is kind of Harahan start, Henry Lansbury start, um, Keenan Davies start, and probably um, an intro to the League Cup for Douglas Louise. Um, 
I want you guys to pick one player you'd really like to see. Um, Danny, can we start with you? Howrahan. Howrahan. Oh. He should he should absolutely have uh, a, a rocket. Um, uh, sort of rocket sort of mindset right now, like right up his, right up from behind him, man. I'm telling you, that's what, that's what it should be. <laughs> like he's he he, he at, at the moment has got to be looking at the last couple of games, thinking, what have I got to do to get on the pitch? What have I got to do to show the manager I'm a game changer? I'm a game winner. When we're a team that lacks strikers, a team that lack lack forwards, Harahan right there is the goal machine. He is the secret weapon, and he's got to show that against Brighton. So I'm expecting to see how Rahan start and I want him to really sort of stake a claim for that team because Grealish and McGinn in the last couple of games have sort of sauntered out in the in the last sort of half an hour of, of every game. They've got to know they've got to work if they want to keep their place. So that's that's what I'd say. Cole, you, who are you excited to see in this uh, rotated Aston Villa lineup if it is to happen? I'm hoping, actually, it's going to be probably a little bit off the board, but I'd love to see Henry Lansbury. Um, He obviously was so unlucky against Palace. I'd like to see him get out there, hopefully maybe dominate a little bit. Just It's another opportunity to see what he can offer, maybe get some more confidence from, I guarantee, whatever happened at Palace. That definitely took some off of him. So it'd be nice to see him out there. Um, And I have to give one heck of an applause to Danny's little promotion for Hurahan. Because that is something, you know, those like advertisements, it's like one man can <laughs> save the world. That's honestly, that's yeah, what yeah. it sounded like to me. And I love that passion. So Listen, man, Danny. Connor Howrahan is Aston Villa's Y2J, Chris Jericho, man. He is back to save oh, Aston Villa. That's, that is what I'm telling you. No, I am about done with this segment. I think you've killed it, Danny. I think you've just. Why to Harahan yeah. save us? Oh my God. Okay. We're going to go on to Burnley, Aston Villa after Brighton will face Burnley at Villa Park on Saturday at 3 p.m. Um, back to our usual kickoff time. I think it's been a few weeks. We had West Ham on the Monday. I think the last time we played at 3 p.m. on Saturday was Crystal Palace away. And it's certainly been since Bournemouth we played at this usual time on a Saturday at home so it has been a while Aston Villa returned to daylight action at Villa Park against the Burnley team that everyone every every single season tips for the drop and they surprise somehow Sean Dyche's men will be up for the task and um, they've got a solid spread so far this season two wins two draws two losses they currently occupy ninth place in the league table Cole what are you expecting from this are an Aston Villa side angered by their loss bouncing back against the stoic Burnley side or is it business as usual I think it has to be business as usual in the sense that um I guess maybe you it would have to depend on the Brighton result too because you never know how that would affect a team depending on who we play um but no looking at this game from an overall standpoint um definitely need something yet you look at Burnley they're built just like a brick you know one of those houses uh <laughs> I don't know if I should swear that's what we'll call it a brick outhouse um uh, right from the back all the way to the top they're physical they're nitty they're gritty they're gonna push you to the very end in terms of physicality and they can pop up with some goals we saw that last uh well the other day against Norwich um so they're not really there just to be um taken lightly so no we have to respect that we I think looking at our side that we played against Arsenal that's pretty lightweight compared to compared to some of the guys they have so I think it would be nice to see something switch up a little bit but then again we don't know if it's going to happen 
Yeah, I think I'd much rather play this game at Villa Park than Turf Moor because the way Burnley came out against Norwich was it was quite unexpected because this Norwich team they just come off thumping Man City three two, and then Burnley come in, play on the front foot, press them out the game, and grab a win. So I think if we were to go to Turf Moor, we'd be up for a hiding. But I think Burnley will be looking to kind of sit a bit. You know, sit a bit deeper being away from home. So I think that might benefit us just a bit more, Danny. You boys looking forward to uh, Jay Rodriguez's return against Villa? Oh, yeah. Uh, will he play? Will he start? I think so. You play Jay Rodriguez against his Villa team. Yeah. Uh, you, look, you look at, a, you look at a, a side that, you know, us generally who have kind of sat off, that, that plays right into the hands of, of Barnes and Rodriguez. I think that's what Burnley have to look at. I mean, they've got other options, haven't they? Um, uh, let me let me have a look. Actually, let me have a look at this. Burnley Chris squad. Wood, yeah, Chris Wood, Chris Wood. He could play, couldn't he? He could play. Dwight McNeil. You've got you've got players in this Burnley side. I mean, they may not be those quote unquote elite players, but Ashley Barnes comes up time and time again. Yeah, he scored four already this season. He scored four already. He's been brilliant. He's been brilliant. You could you can't just write them off because they're Burnley. And I think any Aston Villa fan heading into this game, writing Burnley off, is a fool because they've been around the block for years while yeah. Villa have been in the championship. Oh yeah. They're not they're not they're not like what how, how how do I put it? They're not they're not sort of players who aren't technically skilled. Like Barnes will run at you. And he will look to scare the defence. Now this is a Burnley team which effectively has a solid defence. And a forward line that can cause you real, real trouble. There's not an awful lot of weakness in that team, is there? Now, the one thing you might want to say is that I think our midfield's probably slightly more energetic than them than theirs. I think, theoretically speaking, Jack Grealish, um, Jack Grealish, marvelous Nakamba, John McGinn, if that's what you want to go with, should be able to run rings around Cork and, and Westwood, theoretically. And I think that's what I would like to see from us. But I think we need to play with a bit more possession. We need to get more comfortable with having possession of the ball, especially against the Burnley side, which are going to basically let you have it. So, Cole, what frustrates me about watching Burnley play is that they will pick up the tempo, they'll play with possession, they'll play with pace, but not for a whole game like Aston Villa do to. They pick their moments to really run at teams, whereas Villa will go, right, every time we get the ball, we're going to run at a team. We saw the downfall of that where, where we get knackered against a team like Arsenal. We're, we're there for the taking, whereas Burnley can conserve energy. They can pit their moments and win games. So do we look for Aston Villa to change that at home against Burnley? I'd say so. Like If you look at them, they know how to switch gears and when to take their moments and essentially when not to. I think that's something from a Villa perspective. I don't know if we've really figured that out yet. And I guess from some aspects, you'd probably say no. Um Playing just one-dimensional the whole time is evident that it gasses us out. So with that being said, I think in particular for this match, it's going to be interesting to see someone how someone like Wesley, how they do against a very physical defense, probably the most physical defense that we've come up against so far. And especially for wingers like Trezeguet, um, how is he going to deal with very physical defenders as well? Is that going to be an issue for him? Will he lose his head? I think there's a lot of question marks especially for this one, because a lot of people will look at it and say it's only Burnley. There's a lot to overcome, and I don't think a lot of people give them credit. I mean, Danny does a brilliant rendition of the manager, but if he wants to do that later, he can do that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Not, not right now. Can't do that. My throat's not sore enough. 
Maybe later. <clears throat> it was all right in that short burst. But um, Cole, I'm really hoping that Aston Villa can grab a win here. But you can't, again, you can't take anything for granted just because it's Burnley. They're, that's it. It's almost awful that people look upon them as some kind of joke. Yeah, I don't understand it. Like, if you look at it, they're kind of the, I wouldn't say they're what Villa should hope to be, but they went down, they stuck with their manager, they came back up, and they're, reaping the rewards that they made themselves like they're they took nothing for granted and it's proven from every single player in their team they're just a hard-working team and it's i don't know it's just some things especially games like this that make me extremely nervous because it could go one of two ways that it's going to be tight or in my opinion we're going to get thumped and it's weird to say that against burnley but it's just the physicality thing that's what worries me the most but that defense is really good, isn't it? You look at like, is it Ben Mee and, and James Tarkovsky? The two of them theoretically are worth, you know, uh, say together, maybe 70 to 80 million pounds. Theoretically, I'm not saying that they are, but, you know, Burnley would be looking to charge like big money, wouldn't they, for either of those guys? And they've, they've both been talked about as sort of big options, haven't they, um, uh, for, for, for teams like Manchester United and, and whatnot. Uh, they're both British as well, aren't they? Both mm-hmm. English, even. And you've... Both English, and they've both kind of been looked at for the England squad. You've got Nick Pope in goal as well. Yeah, Nick you know. Pope. Yeah. Matty Loughton. Yeah, you've got, you've got quality. There's, there's there's quality. So, I guess it's uh, it's not something that Villa can just think they'll, they'll breeze over Burnley, really. No, they won't. And I th- we, we're going to have to be comfortable with the idea that we'll have to stick it out and, 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 and really sort of try and... We're going to need lengthy attacks where we pass the ball around. We're not going to be able to just kind of whip the ball into to Wesley and hope that it uh, and, and hope that, that that somebody gets on the end of it. What's going to be interesting, actually, is that in fact, what was interesting the last game? I don't know if you guys saw it against Norwich. So Norwich are the kind of team that uh, obviously love to exploit a team when they're when they're pushing forward. Norwich love a good counter attack for that whole game. Basically, Burnley against Norwich in the, on the weekend. Burnley were just like, nope. You 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 try that, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna come at you. Basically, there, you, we are not gonna give you an opportunity to to get through. So the way that Villa have kind of been running through Arsenal um, and, and, and attacking really well against them, and the way that we played against Everton, we're not gonna get those opportunities against Burnley. They're gonna be few and far between, uh, and it, it should make for a really interesting matchup. Uh, do you guys do what? Do you guys change something about this midfield? Do you change something like tactically? Do we um, do we go five at the back and try to match Burnley in terms of doggedness? What what, what do you see? Suggest. So here's my thought, and I'm going to come in before you do, Cole. I'm not going to change the midfield. I'm just going to make a substitution in the second half, <laughs> early on in the second half. That's fair. Right? Yeah, no, I think I, I agree with James. I wouldn't really change too much. Um, I guess the only thing I would differ in that would be I'd like to see us maybe depending on how it's going maybe in the second half, maybe just tweak a few things in the midfield. If we're lacking a little bit, maybe just add another player in there, change the dimension a little bit, but no bringing on a midfielder before like the 75th minute would be a just music to my ears. I guess on that note, it's time to uh, wrap up the podcast. A win for Aston Villa will do one thing well. It won't just give them three points. It'll give us all that optimism that we went into the season. It might just return a bit of that. And I think that right now, worth its weight in gold. I don't know if that will happen. I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw. So, Danny, could I take your prediction first, followed by Coles? 
Uh, I'm going to go nil-nil. I'm going to go nil-nil uh, because I have total fin- <laughs> total faith in both defences. <laughs> um, I don't think Villa are going to sit off much. Um, and I think even if we do, I don't think Burnley are the kind of side that, that, that will kind of offer as much of a threat as, say, Arsenal did. Yes, Rodriguez. Yes, Barnes. Yes, Chris Wood will, will come at the defence, but I think we'll deal with that. I don't think that um, Hendrick, McNeil, um, you know, Ashley Westwoods. I don't think those lads are going to be uh, are going to be trying to overrun us like Arsenal did. Uh, I'm not saying Burnley will be content with the point, but uh, I, I do think that it's going to be uh, a game where there's going to be chances few and far between for either side. So nil nil for me. That's fair. No, that's definitely fair. Jeez. Um, I always go for draws. I'm going to change it up. I'm going to be the positive one here. One nil Villa. One nil Villa. And I'm going to and I'm going to and yes, I'm going to say it right now yes, who's Cole. going to score. And it's going to be really weird, but it's going to be Trezeguet. He's actually going to get a shot on target that goes past the keeper this time. So that's going to happen. Um, Fair play, Cole. Yes, I'm very happy about that. And with that being said, uh, James, take it away. Is it the end? No, he's asking you to sing a song. Well, I was going to say, we could talk about <laughs> Fantasy League if you really wanted to, but... <laughs> oh, oh, no, I no, think we should no, talk about Fantasy no. League. I think that's a great idea, Cole. Okay, then. That is a brilliant idea. I'll take it idea. away from here. You guys get your teams up, and I'll, I'll talk about mine for a little bit here. Up, so, um, viewers, enjoy. Um, so, yeah, I had 67 points last week. Uh, I think I did pretty dandy myself. Uh, Lundstrom, Salah, De Bruyne... Uh, Harry Kane, all doing bits for me. I made this the really dumb choice of thinking, oh, I'll put Tom Heaton in that because he'll got a lot of save points. That didn't happen. I left Pope on the bench. So that kind of screwed me over there a little bit. I'm 32nd in the 7,500 to Holt League, which I was kind of hoping to be in the top 25, Ooh. but I think I'm only like a point off like the top 15 or something. So I'll take that. Danny, how about you? Oh. I'm I'm just five points behind you now, Spicy. Cole. I got seventy points this week. Uh, I I started with Nick Pope in goal, uh, Lundstrom, Dine, Ake, and Lord Farquhar across the back. So Yunchu, uh, he came in because my captain Raheem Sterling didn't get any game time in City's eight 0 victory. So that's cool. I'm I'm fine with that. It's, it's not a problem for me. Uh, I wasn't upset in the slightest when when I noticed that. Um, but my captain, Harry Kane, my vice-captain, Harry Kane, gave me the points. As did John McGinn. How did, uh, I mean, as did Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So if there's one thing that um, I can kind of... In fact, this is a bit of a taunt, actually, because Aubameyang scoring the winner against Villa actually did, did wonders for my fantasy league. Um, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel, uh, but that's what I'm going to say at that. Uh, that's all I'm going to say on that. You know what's annoying about that, though? Like, I don't know how many people I saw when I looked at their teams. It was like, captain was Sterling, vice-captain was De Bruyne. De Bruyne got 17 points on his yeah, own. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, come on. Like, oh. <laughs> I picked Sal as my captain, so I don't feel as bad he got an assist. But James, without further ado, <sighs> give us your trials and tribulations. I got... Okay. <laughs> so... Okay. <the> situ- <laughs> Okay, no, okay, okay, okay. So I had the same situation as Danny where Raheem Sterling was my <laughs> captain. Um, Nick Pope was on my bench. Um, so my vice-captain, Harry Kane, fair enough. 
Um, but Raheem Sterling having zero points was subbed in. Um, well, Leander Dendonka was subbed in and he got zero points. Nice. So I ended on 42 points. <laughs> um, in, in a normal week, probably wouldn't be that bad. But in this week, the average was 52. And as we know, as Danny said, only idiots get the average. So I am below IQ on that, guys. Oh, dear. It's funny because, like, James is essentially, you know, head podcaster of 7,500 to Holt. And where is he? 320th? No, you're not. James, come, James, come on, man. What are you going to do? What that are you going to is... do? I think that's rock bottom, isn't it? No, 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 you're not. You're not rock bottom. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, 380 if he's rock bottom, so I'm not far off. In all fairness, in all fairness, your team is called Engels class struggle. So uh, it's not long until the bourgeoisie tumbles. (laughs) I'll wait on that day. Well, lads, uh, let's not end the show on a sour note. We should take away some positives uh, at the end of this podcast because the Aston Villa under-23s have just finished their game against the Manchester United under-23s in Premier League 2 and there's a couple of things to say about that first of all two goals for for Ramsey which is brilliant to see because he's kind of been uh, Jacob Ramsey's kind of been teetering on the on the verge of first team football Uh, we also saw a goal for Vasilev that was the that was the first goal and a uh, penalty as well put away by Tyreek Wright and the other thing that you should you guys should know about this game is that James Chester started it uh, alongside uh, Issa Suleiman, Rowe, and Walker. And there's Oya Nyland as well in goal. Oh, yeah, Nyland as well. James, well spotted, mate. Well yes, spotted. I mean, this is this is nothing if not Premier League coverage on this podcast, Premier League quality <laughs> all, the, all the way through. But on that note, guys, I think we will end the podcast. Um, Danny, thank you for picking it up at the end. By the way, um, you know, my fantasy humiliation is no way to end the podcast. As we all know, we we must pick it up and uh, end on a positive note. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, it was ongoing while I was through recording. So thank you for following that route. Um, you can follow him at Raza Journal. You can follow Cole at Talk Aston Villa. Follow me at Jamie Russian. And we'll see you next Sunday when Villa can hopefully grab three points and get off the mark after this international, after the last international break. See you soon. Goodbye.